the big thing with practice management is that most of us grew up, inverted commas, grew up as a grinder, was taught how to do the work. And as we progress our careers, we progress into a management role and a minder role. And uh, we were never taught how to manage people and often struggle in that area. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 174 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. How should we manage our practice? What are the greatest hurdles most of us face? This is the question I asked Edward Chen. Edward is non-executive chairman of Chen and Naylor and also co-founder of Wise Mentoring. Introduction to Chen and Naylor. I understand it's a network of 11 offices. Yes, it's a network of 11 offices and we share the same brand or the same name. And uh, we do all the marketing for them because as an accounting firm, accounting firms, you know, have a, have a bit of a difficulty on the marketing side. And the idea of Chan and Ayler is that it's a different growth model than perhaps the normal accounting firms in that the normal accounting firms grow by the individual person. So the strength of the individual person. So often Some very large firms will bring in partners because the partners are finders, if you like, and their growth strategy is to invite partners to join and they get they generally go out there and they, you know, network and so forth and, and grow the business. So that's their growth strategy. And I, and I call that catching butterflies with a butterfly net. So you've got to go out there and catch those butterflies and the, the butterfly catcher has to be up there doing that. But the problem with that model is that You know, if you take the butterfly catcher out of there, then that's the end of the growth. And it's all dependent on that uh, butterfly catcher, if you like. So what I did with Chad and Ada was I didn't want it to be dependent on any individual people, including myself. So Chad and Ada was more about creating a garden that attracts butterflies to us. And the problem with creating a garden is that it's very expensive and a standalone firm finds it very difficult to um, carry the costs of doing that, whereas in the group that I've created, we all share in that marketing cost, which then as cost per firm is a lot, lot less than if a firm had to do it on their own. If you use the metaphor of the finder, minder and grinder, the finder road is basically now covered by your marketing department and the partners can now focus on the minder role, managing it, bringing it all together. Yes, correct. 100%. So you have a marketing department? Yes, we do. And it's got uh, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, five people in it. Um, just had to uh, think about that. <laughs> There's five people in the marketing department and their role is to do all the marketing for all the 11 offices. And we've got finance and financial planning and so forth. So the marketing department does their marketing as well. Each office has one or two partners? Uh, generally one, one partner, but there are some offices, a minority of the offices have, 
have two partners, but they're generally just the one partner. Is each office a separate company that then the partner owns? Or do all 11 partners have a share in Chen and Naylor? Uh, no, they're individual companies owned by the individual partners. However, head office has an interest, a financial interest in each of the offices. And it's different to a franchise where the franchisor has no equity interest in the franchisee, whereas we have an equity interest in the franchisee, if you like. So we call them joint venture partners. The reason why we went that way was we wanted to align the head office with the franchisees, if you like, or the joint venture partners, because in a traditional franchisee model, because the franchisor has no equity interest in the franchisee, often they're not aligned and often the franchisor is more interested in just putting on more franchisees because that's how he earns his income. And because he has no interest in the profits of the franchisee, often, you know, a lot of franchisees are not making any money. So if in our model, if the if our joint venture partners are not making any money, then I'm not make, making any money. So we've aligned with each other uh, in terms of profit and growth and efficiencies and you know running the business better to produce more profit. So we I felt that that was a more honest or effective model. And, uh, and hence, we've gone down that way. So when you started a new office, did the partner pay you or did you pay the partner? Sure. We buy into their business, so we pay them money and to buy into their business. So like any normal purchase where you, you purchase somebody, uh, you would pay money to buy in and then they join the group. And uh, with that, then they contribute to the marketing so that means the partner for this new office already came with a client base that you then bought a share of. And then going forward, the partner pays you a dividend, but I guess they also pay a marketing fee. Correct, correct. And in the beginning, when we first started, there were different variations of it, uh, Heidi. The, I think the very first one, we we earned our equity, meaning that you know the more new business we drove them, then that turned into our share in the equity of their practice. And then the later ones were more established ones that joined us because people then started asking to join us with existing practices. So it, it changed a little bit over time. Coming back to your model of finding, minding and grinding, Do you think grinding is being phased out or do you think the nature of grinding is just changing? Yes, it's been changing, uh, Heidi. When, when I first started out, I was at university and that was 1979. And I remember people saying to me, you know, I was doing an accounting degree and I remember people saying to me, I oh, don't do accounting, you won't have a job because computers were coming in at that time. And computers were big mainframes. And of course, as they became cheaper and became desktops and so forth, the cost came down and increased in the usage of them. But I didn't lose my job. In fact, you know, computers created more jobs. So it, it has changed, though. When I first started, you know, we, we would have um, about, for, for every million dollars in fees, in accounting fees, there was about 15 accountants. 
And we also had secretaries, if you like, that did all our typing, typed all our profit and loss and balance sheets and tax returns. And then the, the mini mainframes came in. So they dedicated a room with uh, two staff members in there that was just putting in data coding all the, you know, computer, putting all the information into computers, data feeding computers. And then that was with about 15 accountants. And of course, those girls now don't have a job anymore, that we don't have computer rooms with, you know, people just dedicated to inputting data feeding. And then the secretaries have all disappeared now so because now we've got word processors and there's hardly that much typing that gets done. And then when uh, desktop computers came in, like Myob, the numbers dropped down to about nine accountants per million from 15. And then now with cloud accounting, such as zero and so forth, it's dropped down to about five. As an accounting firm, though, our profits have remained the same. So we're back then we we're doing you know, an inhibit of about 32, 30, 26 to 32% after partner salaries. And then today we're still doing around the same kind of profit. And as we got more efficient, our overheads dropped. But the industry has grown, so it's created a whole lot of new jobs elsewhere but we certainly didn't need the same number of accountants doing the work. So it has changed. I don't believe it will get rid of grinding altogether because what's ahead of us is artificial intelligence and and data feeding, automatic data feeding. So that would reduce the number of accountants that you need, but there'll always be a need for accountants. But I'm surprised that your profit margin hasn't improved with less and less accountants working on a million-dollar fee. I would have thought your profit margins would improve significantly. No, because the costs of doing the work is coming down and the fees are coming down in terms of the fees per client. So, you know, often, you know, in the old days, if you if you were doing the equivalent, and I know it's difficult to do the equivalent because you know, it's a passage of 20 or 30 years, but if you were to allow, you know, allow for CPI and, and so forth, you know, in the old days, we might be charging, if we're comparing apples with apples, we may have been charging you know, $10,000 for a job. And today we might be charging $9,000, uh, sorry, $5,000 for a job. But we're still making the same amount of money, the net profit, but the fees are coming down because it's a lot more efficient. learn interpersonal skills or is it you either have it or you don't have it? That's a good question, Heidi. I've been in the game a long time and, you know, we've got 150 staff and and I'm constantly dealing with people. And what I've learned over the years is that it's very hard to change your leopard spots and you can do lots and lots of training and they might, an ordinary person would rise and change a little bit. You might change them 10%. And then over time, they just gravitate back to their natural state. You know, so if you're a natural person, if you're naturally a people person, then, you know, the interpersonal skills come more naturally. If you're more of a grinder, you can put it on if you like, but you can't sustain it for a long period of time. It burns you out. You know, it's like swimming against the tide. So you can pretend but generally, you will find it very, very difficult. So, um, for example, I'm 
have reasonably good interpersonal skills, but I'm not a real natural people person. And I can see three or four clients in that day. And at the end of the day, I'd be completely exhausted. Whereas a person who's just a natural people person, they can see you know, 30, 40, 50 people. And at the end of the day, they're still fresh as a daisy because they're in their flow. They're in their, in their lane, so to speak. Whereas I have to swim against the tide a bit to uh, maintain that momentum. So to answer your question, can it be learned? Yes, it can be learned. And I guess I've learned it, but whether you can sustain it for a long period of time, if you're not a natural people person, then uh, that's debatable. But it's always best to you know, work within your lane, within your flow. And I guess that's the difference between what we do here. We are, you know, keeping people in their flow. So if you're a grinder, you do grinding work. If you're a minder, a minder needs to have some interpersonal skills. And obviously a finder needs to have a heightened level of people skills. And you've got to have those combinations of the three working together. So if you try to make a grinder into a minder, it won't work. And if you try to get a minder into a grinder, that won't work. And, of course, you can never make – very, very difficult to make a grinder into a finder. And often a lot of alliance partners, you know, whether it's financial planning or finance, they get very frustrated at accountants because they're expecting accountants to refer more you know, leads to them. And uh, if the accountant's not a finder and you're expecting him or her to be a finder, then you're going to be disappointed. So you're setting yourself up for a fall if you're trying to change someone, if you're trying to change them too much out of what they, they naturally are. In a way, if one could choose, it would be much better to be a finder. The money's on the finder, not on the grinder. That's correct in the main, but the, the finders are also under a, a tremendous amount of pressure because they live and die by their finding often, like salespeople are, and they've got certain you know, KPIs to meet and so forth. I don't believe that one is better than the other, Heidi. I, I think they're all equal. And often people feel that you know, if you're a grinder, that's the lowest person. But I believe that it's when you run a business, you have to have all three skills. The finder may bring the work in, but if it's not looked after by the minder and the work getting done by the grinder, the finder will, won't survive. So I'll explain in this way. Often firms, accounting firms, when I walk into them and meet the owner, if the owner is a finder, right, he's got great interpersonal skills and he finds growing the business quite easy. But if he doesn't have the right grinders and minders there, he'll experience churn. So the clients will come, they come because of his personality or her personality They get disappointed because, you know, he can't get the work done. He can't deliver. He can't deliver. And then they churn and then, then he loses them over time. Now, if I walk into a practice and uh, the owner is a minder, then the place is really organized and um, everything in the right spot and it's really efficient. But he or she doesn't grow because he or she doesn't have that personality to uh, to bring work in. And, of course, if I walk into a practice and the The owner is a grinder. He's always he or she's always really really busy. Grinders love being busy on the tools, on the tools, being busy, 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 busy. But often you can be really busy all day, but you haven't done anything. And that typical practice, if the owner is a grinder, 
And why I keep talking about the owner is because uh, the personality of the practice is a reflection of the personality of the owner. The owner runs it the way their personalities are. So if he's a grinder, everyone's busy, 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 busy. It's chaotic generally. And they're working, you know, long hours. They're doing it by brute force. And generally, a lot of times they're spinning their wheels. And uh, there's 30 or 40% efficiency in there if they just change the way they did it. And they use the three skills. They bring complementary skills in together. So they keep the grinders in the grinding role and the miners in the mining role and the finders in the finding role. And, and don't try and expect, you know, a grinder to be a finder or vice versa. And what happens is that you get one plus one is five. So you get the ability to scale and you get synergy uh, by bringing complementary skills together. And that's the secret of firms' efficiencies, their scalability, and the profits. It's just getting identifying the, the complementary skills and getting them to work together. So to give you an example, I'll get into the nitty-gritty. A grinder likes, as I said, likes to be busy, but often they're, you know, they're, they're just doing things for the sake of doing things just to keep busy, but often it doesn't bring the right outcome. I'll give you an example. Often grinders will have 30 or 40 half-finished jobs, and then they'll go off and start a new job when there's the other jobs are half-finished. And often it requires the minder, who's very organized, to say to the grinder, uh, listen, Ed, don't start that new job, but how about ringing the client up and getting that last bit of missing information so you can finish that job off? There's a tendency for the grinder to chase the next shiny thing and to you know start something new instead of finishing things off. So he or she needs a minder to manage them and to organize them, and that's why we have morning huddles for the minders to give the grinders direction for the day and for the week and to focus on you know, outcomes and productivity. So getting those combinations right is really important. And often if you don't understand that you and you don't have a, uh, a team structure, we call it an ideal team structure. So it's made up of made up of minders and grinders. And the minder is generally someone who's a perfectionist. And the problem with perfectionists is that they can't get the work out the door and it sits around in their desk. And because it sits around, they can't build, you know, the bit, they can't invoice the work out and build the work out. So their whip builds up and it's very frustrating because you need to build the work out so you can get cash flow to pay, you know, to pay your overheads and expenses. Because they're too, they're too anal, they're too, too much perfectionists and they can't get to the, the end. So if you combine those two personalities together where the grinder just gets it done, it works really quick and gets it done really quickly, but he or she makes a few mistakes because they're so quick at doing it. But if you combine their their personality with the minder, the minder then checks the work and you know ensures that the quality is there. And he or she is generally a bit slower, but it doesn't matter if they're a bit slow as long as they've got an eye for detail and they're checking it. And often the the grinder who's very quick at doing the work, who makes mistakes, often they feel a lot of pressure because they're worried about making a mistake because of their personality. But when you combine the two together, you can say to the grinder, just get the work done and the minder will check it. So you've got the combination of two working together and you'll get one plus one is five instead of one plus one is two. Often it's one plus one is something less than two. But if you get these teams working together with the right grinders and the miners, then you will get one plus one is five. So there's a huge amount of synergy and efficiencies by you know getting people working together. So 
So I value the grinder as much as I value the finder, because without all three, it just won't work. I completely agree with you. But I think you will very rarely see an accounting practice where the grinder is the principal and he has hired staff to do the finding and the minding. When you have a successful accounting practice, you usually have the finder as the principal. And then the finder has hired good minders and grinders to back him up. Yes, that's correct. For most of the firms that start out on their own, they have their finders. And that's why they go out on their own. Generally, the grinders work for somebody else because they don't have the personality to bring work in. So you're absolutely 100%. The majority are like that. However, I've seen firms where, you know, they've bought into a firm and they've bought the client base and they've bought the business and they're grinders themselves. And in, in that situation, you know, they have to spend money on marketing and, um, you know, get the marketing department up and running. So there are various variations of it. But in the main, you're right, the, most of the firms, most of the owners are have good personalities and they've got their finders. And that's the reason why they, they had the confidence to come out to start the business on their own. In fact, that's how I started. I started from scratch. But often, you know, as I said, miners and grinders buy into practices that are already established. You made a very good point in that if you are a grinder or a minder by personality, you can use marketing you can try to replace the finding with technology and also to set up the practice in a very streamlined way where you look at high turnover of work at low margins very fast, where the relationship doesn't count so much, but it's more delivering the work that counts. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, often the cost of marketing is very expensive. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can spend a lot of money in marketing and it's wasted. It's a completely different topic. How did you exit from Chen and Naylor? You are a non-executive chairman. Is Mr. Naylor still around? Yes, Mr. Naylor is still around. And is he still active or is he also non-executive as you? No, he's non-executive as I am. And um, what we were able to do was to move... The business, which started off as a as self-employment, from self-employment to a business, and now it's an investment. So it pays us a dividend and it just pays us a profit share. So we no longer work in it, which means that we don't get paid a salary for uh, personal exertion. But the capital, but there's still a capital value in the business, which should give you a return on the investment. So we simply take a dividend now. So as I said, it's gone from self-employment to a business with staff and systems and so forth to now an investment where it just pays as a passive income. At what stage did you change from an executive to a non-executive role? How many offices did you have? I ceased working in a business prior to the offices joining us. You ceased when it was still just one office? Yes, just the one office. And um, actually it was two offices because we started out at Parramatta we then started another office in Pimble. I then stopped working pretty much from that point. Uh, once Pimble got up and running and we had the right managers in here and the systems are all in place and the staff are in the right seat and the right bus and they're all trained up and I ceased uh, working in it at that point. So uh, so it's been quite a few years. It's been over 20 years, I'd say. Who then found the other 
partners to join Chen and Naylor. Oh, I did, but that's different to working in the business. I wasn't, uh, what, what I mean is I'm, I wasn't working in, uh, I'm at Pimble at the moment. This is the practice I still own. And uh, Cindy Sue runs it now. So I stopped working in the business and I had time on my hands. So with that time, I've done other things like Wise Mentoring is another one that I've created now. Then the Chan and other Joint Venture Partners is the one that was created from you know me working on the business or creating things, if you like. But you can only do that once you've stopped working in the business. Once you've got a lot more time, you can do other things with your time. How did you find the other partners? It was just a combination of word of mouth. Chan and Naylor has a, quite a high profile in the marketplace. So most accounting firms knew of us. You know, the main thing was through word of mouth. Sometimes we do a, a little bit of marketing. So our marketing department would do a little bit of marketing. And it sort of grew from that from that angle. Who proposed in the marriage? Is it usually the other partner who says... Can I join you or is it more that you see a really promising practice that could run even better if they had the help they need and you approach them? Yes, that's a good question, Heidi. When I sort of stopped working, some accounting firms started asking me to to help them to run their businesses. So I got to know them that way. So I, I did some mentoring and coaching, if you like. And I got to know the firms and generally the coaching goes for about 12 months. So the first six months, we put in all the systems and the processes and the, the way you do things. And then the next six months is just creating new habits. Because if you don't create a new habit by doing the, same, the new task over and over and over again, it just unravels. So once those new habits are established, then the right culture is, is maintained Then in that 12-month period, I'd assess them to see whether they're, they're a cultural fit because the biggest problem with um, consolidations and partnerships and you know amalgamations and whatever you want to call it, mergers, and that it's where it falls down is because the cultural fit is not right. And I learned that over a long, long time because we made lots of mistakes in the beginning You know, joint venture partners joined us, they left, we asked them to leave or, you know, one of two. And it all came down to one thing. And the one thing was it was the wrong cultural fit. So today I'm still, you know, if a firm wanted to join us, I'll still look at them, but I'll insist on going through a engagement period, if you like, where I'll help them with their firm, get all the systems right, see if there's a cultural fit. If there's a cultural fit and they're in the right location, then they could ask or I could ask them. So to give you an example, our Melbourne office at the moment, the particular partner there has been there five years and he's now retiring. And um, he wanted to, you know, retire and sell his percentage. I'd been coaching and mentoring this other accounting firm and I identified him as the right cultural fit. He, part of the his business plan, which I was helping him to implement, was to grow. So when one said he was going to retire and this other one was growing and part of growth was to purchase a firm, I just put the two together and he's now bought the other one out and he's now running our Melbourne office. And that's just an example. Cultural fit is a very wishy-washy word. It's always difficult to say what it actually is. Hmm. Doesn't it just come down a lot to chemistry, whether 
people click and get each other or not? Yes, that's uh, a large part of it, uh, Heidi. The other part of it is, you know, do you see things the same way? I use this term, are you a business person or are you an accountant? Because they're not the same. An accountant is not necessarily a business person and a business person is not necessarily an accountant. And if you're an accountant and you wanted to join me and run the business, then that's the wrong cultural fit and he or she will fail. For example, an accountant sees everything as an expense and I see things as an investment. So that's a, the wrong. You won't see eye to eye with me if you're an accountant. In, if we're going to spend a certain amount on marketing, for example. The accountant will say, that's an expense. I want to cut down on my expenses. I say, that's a balance sheet play, not a P&L play. And a balance sheet play is an investment and we need to invest so that's just one example, Heidi. I, I'm just um, trying to explain yes. there's a difference yes. in culture, in the way you look at things. Yes, but it makes sense. You mentioned systems and processes. Yes. What do the systems look like? What tech stack do you have at Chen and Naila? Do you do zero or and slash or MYOB, do you have a CIM? You know, what, what does it look like? Yes, because we've got 11 offices and there's financial planning, finance, and there's insolvency and auditing. So there are other departments as well. They all run their own system, but predominantly all the offices are on zero. In fact, just thinking about it, all the accounting offices are on zero bar one. And he or she, uh, he, yeah, it's a he, he's um, coming on to zero in, in this year. And then we, for our marketing, we have Salesforce. So we do all our marketing through Salesforce and Campaign Monitor. It changes from time to time. So um, I couldn't say that in five years from today, it'd, it'd be exactly the same. So that the stack will change depending on, you know, what's out there and what's available and so forth. But at the moment, you know, the what it is is that the firms have their own zero packages. We do all the marketing using Salesforce and can campaign monitor. Every office kind of comes up with their own technical solution. Yeah, they choose it because they all have a preference. And to be honest, it, it's all it's all pretty good. It's only on the margins that they're different. And because it's on the margins, it's it's a personal preference for the individual firm. So we, we don't force them to, you know, to use this one or that one. It's just a personal preference. I, you know, I, I give them lots of feedback as to the advantages and disadvantages and, and then I generally leave it up to them to choose. And so any technical issues with those softwares, they have to solve themselves, you know, since you are not involved in the choice of the um, tech stack for each office, then of course you also don't provide the IT support. Correct. And, each one of them have their own preferred supplier and their own preferred person to deal with. You know, it seems to work work fine. Do you have a central reception in terms of that when your marketing campaign is successful, do potential clients call a central number or do they call directly the local office? No, we when we do a campaign, a sales campaign, we run it through a certain number. Email. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yes. through a certain number. It's a particular phone number, then gets redirected to the offices. So we can track 
how successful that marketing campaign was because it's all it's all about statistics and, and numbers. Oh, I see. So every marketing campaign has a different number, hence you can see exactly what worked and what didn't work. Yes. And if somebody calls that number from the Pimble office, then they get directed to the Pimble office. If somebody calls close to the Melbourne office, then they get redirected to the Melbourne office, but always just calling this number. Yes, that's right. Oh, okay. That's very clever. Mm. The big thing with practice management is that most of us, when I say us, accountants, you know, we grew up, inverted commas, grew up as a grinder. So we went to university and was taught how to do the work. And, uh, and as we progress our careers, we found that, you know, for some of us, we progress into a management role and a minder role. And uh, we were never taught how to do We're never taught how to manage people. And often, you know, we struggle in that area because we're taught how to do the work. And often a practitioner who starts their own business and their background is on the production line, so to speak, then they run their business like a production line. You know, they're focused on timesheets and they're focused on their productivity. They don't realize that when you run a business, The production is just one division out of seven divisions. You've got to spend time in the other divisions as well. And of course, when you run the accountancy practice, the thing that kills you is managing the traffic flow. The traffic that comes into the organization is quite, quite extensive. So what I mean by traffic is that, you know, you get, you get thousands and thousands of emails with questions and then you get, you got to have meetings. You've got to be able to explain what's going on. You've got to be able to get on the phone and return your calls. And then you've got to do the work as well. So traffic has to be separated into communication traffic and production traffic. And they're two different types of people that you hire to do that kind of work. So they're two different types of work. So accounting firms don't understand when they hire people, they hire, they try to hire You know, the person that can do everything, like they're really quick, they make no mistakes, they've got great interpersonal skills, they've got great communication skills, and they're looking for that person. Of course, that person is very hard to find. So they say to me, oh, it's really hard to find staff. Or they can't keep the staff because they're constantly getting headhunted by brokers. You know, they have to pay them an exorbitant amount of money to keep them and so forth. So if you don't know how to manage all of that, then that's 90% of problems that I see within the county practice. It's just getting, it's just understanding the flow of the organization and the, the traffic flow. Um, it's broken into communication and, and production, and you've got to get the right person, the right seat, managing both and not to lump the two together. And that's what most firms do. They lump the two together and they're looking for that person can do two both things. You mentioned seven divisions before. Was seven just a number you plucked out of the air or are there, actually, oh. <laughs> are there seven divisions of which production yes. is one? Oh, there are absolutely seven divisions. I see. Can you tell me, can you walk me through them just yes. quickly? Yes, absolutely. D division one is the board where the strategies are all determined. And generally the person that sits on the board is the, the, are the owners and the key people that, that's involved in the organization that's more strategy orientated. And often when I'm coaching a firm, they ask me to sit on well. And division two is a marketing division. 
you've got to build, you've got to fertilize the soil before you can, you know, sow a seed. The seed won't grow unless you fertilize the soil. So the division two is about fertilizing, which means it's about building brand awareness. So you've got to build brand awareness so that when a prospect comes to see you, that you've built a certain level of credibility with that prospect so that the conversion is a lot easier. And then you've got to build awareness of the products that you you sell because if your clients don't know what you're selling then they're not going to know what to buy and then of course division that's two that's division three is your sales division now accountants don't like the word sales so it's more like the trusted advisor so we have a very very special relationship with the clients and and often you know that trust it's quite unique but what comes with that trust is you know, a responsibility to ensure that the clients have everything that they need to have from a risk point of view, from you know, wealth creation to compliance and the rest of it. So there's a, a sales division. So that's division three. Division four is your production. So the work then has to get done. And this is division four is the common division that most accountants, if not all accountants, have grown up in. So they've all been, like I have, I've, you, know, you, you come out of uni, you go work for someone and you work in the production division and you're familiar with how that works. And often where they make a mistake is when they come out and start a business, they run it with just one division, which is the production division. And then division um, five is quality. And quality is about things like, you know, are you running a survey? Are you having are your checklist being updated? Are you organizing training, technical training for your team? Are you getting Google reviews on your marketing? Are you handling a complaint section for the survey? So we run surveys with our clients to ensure that, you know, they're, they're, they're happy because the research shows that most customers or clients expect things could go wrong when they deal with you. But what defines the organization is not the problems that occur, but how they respond to those problems. And you need to be able to respond very quickly. And if you can respond very quickly, the research shows that not only will you retain that client, but you also get an advocate out of it. They'll go out there singing your praises. So you need to be on top of those things. And then there's division six, which is, I call it the implementation division because it needs to, it's like the glue that holds the whole thing together. And the person that holds that division is like the the manager, the general manager, the, the office manager, and he or she, you know, handles everything else to and is the glue that holds all those divisions together. You know, often you know they do a lot of administration work, such as dealing with the tax portal or following out the missing information, or you know, and and the reception is in that division as well. So you know, connecting the customer with the right person in the organization and not just taking a message and then there's division seven which is the accounts and you know accounts payable accounts receivable reports that kind of thing so someone has to handle that and you've got to have all seven and often accounting firms only have two or three and they don't understand that you need to have all or seven for the business to grow and if you don't grow you die it's either grow or you die because your expenses are, are getting higher each year and you need to grow. And there's only that two state. You either grow or you die. And maintaining is, is dying. 
because your expenses are growing each year, so you can't maintain. Most of it, the most important bit is keep people in their flow. I think that's the most important bit, and it's about managing the people and the work, not doing the work. It's easy to go to work to prepare a tax return, but it's much harder to go to work to build a business that does the tax return. And there's a fundamental difference to the two. The person who runs the practice needs to go there to build a business that does the tax return. And often they jump in there and do the tax returns themselves. So I guess that's the, what I'd like to leave you with. Welcome back. I find Ed's comment interesting that you can tell by just walking through a practice and looking around that you can tell whether the principal is a grinder, minder or finder. In the next episode, episode 175, Edward Chen will talk about the consolidation in the accounting industry that Chen and Naylor also has been a part of. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Thank you.